Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt, before you head off, this this story you had about the, the condo building in Waukesha that now mm-hmm. has to be destroyed, what what a nightmare. I can't even imagine that. It's just so unfortunate, the whole thing. Well, you know, to, to, for people who haven't been following the story, about a week ago, what happened is uh, authorities came in, and there's like 60-some people that mm-hmm. live in this, this apartment building in, in downtown Waukesha, Horizon West Condominiums, and, and they declared the place uninhabitable. Now, what, what, if, if you go back a little, apparently this is there's been concerns going back over a year where uh, apparently there were some inspections done and they found that there was the, the building was built in 1966 and I, I don't know if it was just the construction things that they did at the time or whether they cut corners or whatever that all gets sorted out some other time but that that water had gotten in and there was its infiltration and some of the load supporting you know beams and stuff were starting to erode and so they've been looking at this and apparently there were issues with the balconies and they first of all instructed all the residents don't go out on the balconies, which to me would have been a red flag. <laughs> yes, you know, and yes. Then, and then, then they decided they were going to have to take off the balconies, and then they were taking off the air conditioners, and mm-hmm. finally they just took a look at this and decided that um, it, it's just not inhabitable, and it's going to have to be torn down. And so, I mean, the updated story was that, I mean, people have not been allowed back into it other than like for 15 minutes to grab your pets. And a small number at a time. So. Right, right. And so now what they're saying is that you you have to leave and that you can make appointments um so three families at a time you can have um you can move out between 8 a.m and 12 p.m you get you know so a couple hours you have to book this you can bring in carts you can bring in wagons and you can haul your stuff out but you you have to be out by christmas and I, I mean, as somebody who, I don't know, I, I lived in a place for 30 years, it, it, it took me months and months and months to get ready to, to move. Now, there was a house, but can you imagine being told that all of a sudden, boom, you got to be out of your condo unit in a couple days? In, in a matter of days, and then you got to find time to be able to do that, and then where are you going to go? Well, that's, I mean, that, that's the thing. These aren't apartments in that, you know, it's, you know, you pay rent. Well, okay, you know, you got to move and it's that inconvenience. So you find some other place that you can rent. These, these are folks that own them. They're, they're, they're condos. You own that place. So now you've got issues with, you know, what, what's the insurance coverage? How, how is their insurance right. coverage? Are you just I, out? Right, exactly. And and where if if you've got if you've got a mortgage, I mean, I I don't know, but let's say you you bought this and you've got a mortgage for a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Well, mm-hmm. oh, okay, what's what's going to happen to that? And how do you get another one? And how do you get the down payment? I mean, it's just a nightmare. Yeah. And winter's coming on. And there's questions too about how it was built, like you said earlier. The, just the whole thing, it's just so unfortunate. Well, it is, you know, and it, I, I mentioned this on the air the other day. Th- this year, you know, I've, I've lived in a condo for 
four or five years. And, and this year, I, I'm now on one of the members of the condo board. Right. So we, we, we deal with, but it is every, every time I get frustrated with, okay, well, you know, this, you know, we're, we're you know, we got to deal with, okay, do you need to replace the, the fountain in, in the pond or something like mm-hmm. that was the thing that came up the other day. And, and whenever I'm thinking, okay, now we got to decide this, I'm thinking, well, at, at least right. <laughs> I, I'm right. not worried about, gee, you have to take all the balconies off. Yeah, remove all the ACs. Yeah, but, yeah, and- right. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of like, but I mean, you understand why they, yeah. they have to do this, especially after what happened, you know, in, in the Miami yeah, area. That, you know? that, that has changed the game. What happened in Florida, which is, you know, that's the silver lining, I guess, is that there's a there's high urgency to make sure something right. like that doesn't happen again. And right. unfortunately... Well, well, and again, and I don't know the, the background on the Horizon West condos and how much notice they have, but it, it, like in the Florida thing, there's always, for people who live in condos, you have to pay dues, a fee to the condo association every month. And some of the fees get used to do the, the daily maintenance, okay, depending on what you're going to do. This, this is where we pay for the snow plowing, you sure. pay for the grass yeah. cutting. And a portion of that money is then put into long-term reserves, which are supposed, and again, it depends on the structure of the condo. The, but what it's set up for, but those long-term reserves are to, to take care of structural problems or to fix the roofs or, or the long-term mm-hmm. things. And, and nobody likes to pay fees. And so so there's all, and this is what happened in in the Miami thing. You know, they knew years and years ago that they were under reserved, that they had problems that needed to be attended to. But the then board said, okay, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have to raise people's rates. We're gonna have to get we're gonna have to take a hundred dollars more a month or whatever that number would be to put it towards reserves. And everybody just pitches a, a fit no, saying course. no we're right. not we're not going to pay this and so you you then then here we want to throw the people on the condo board out because we don't want to pay this and then now that's an extreme example but this is th- this is yeah. that, that kind of thing nope nobody wants to pay for the stuff and if you don't do the maintenance it just gets worse yeah. and worse that's yeah. my, my my general philosophy of things whether it's condos or whatever is that when when stuff when, when stuff starts to go bad it just makes sense to Address it, and actually, it makes sense to address it before the stuff goes bad. If you pop- <laughs> well, no, right? You'd be proactive if possible. Yes. Well, I mean, I okay, I, I, I um, in in our place, and this is on my dime, but our, I mean, I remember we replaced our furnace and air conditioning thing a couple about a year, a year and a half ago or so, and it's because I mean, I would get it serviced every year, and the guy would say, well. You know, it's it's X number of years old, and you can probably get you know another year or two out of it if you wanted to. But you know, I'm planning on being in the place for a while, so you know you're going to have to replace it. And I guess mm-hmm. I just didn't want to worry about you know the, the furnace dying when it's 10 degrees below zero in January. I, that peace of mind, right, right. knowing that y- yeah, could I've got another year or two out of it, but I, I'd have to pay for it regardless. So. I don't know. It's just interesting how this works. Yeah, hopefully, hoping for the best. And now there are some places for these folks to go in the time being right. for the short term. But yeah, hoping for the best. I mean, you, you, you can can you just? I'm trying to think. I'm imagining this, and you got forecasts for snow and stuff. And again, the Salvation Army and the American Red Cross are, are stepping in big yeah. time and stuff. But it's like that. That's a temporary solution. It's like, what are you going to do? So our heart goes out to all those different people. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the story. It was breaking right as I was getting off the air yesterday. It's another horrible story out of Waukesha, and there's actually more questions than there are answers about it right now. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Hey, it's that time of year again. Every child deserves the best holiday experience, and this year the need to donate toys is greater than ever. WTMJ is once again teaming up with Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas. If you would like to help this holiday season, go to WTMJ.com and click on the Kids to Kids Christmas banner. This year we're competing to see which show can donate the most toys. When you donate, make sure to click on your favorite WTMJ show, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for the final push. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Radiothon, only here on WTMJ. L- let me give you a couple more details about this. The, the the whole Kids to Kids Christmas Drive was conceived of, oh gosh, 10, 12, 13, 14 years ago with, between Capco and um, our, our former teammate colleague and my friend Jonathan Green. And the idea was, let, let's get... Let's get parents involved and taking kids out and have them buy toys and then really understand the spirit of giving and then donate the toys. And what Capco does is they have this arrangement with, for example, the Salvation Army, where they collect all these toys and then they set up what is the equivalent of a toy store. And people um, who are less fortunate can come in and they can select toys. The whole idea is to make the holiday season. It it really is about the kids. And if, if you've ever been out there at Capco and seen all the toys they collect, you just know how much joy this brings. Well, all right, the, the last couple years, thank you, COVID, we, we, we've had to change things around a little bit. If you will recall, in, in years past, we would, for example, do a number of like in-person toy drives. I mean, I can remember taking my program on the road and we'd be at various locations throughout the area, um, grocery store parking lots. And um, we, we, we always used to go down to, to VMP, for example, and, and they do big events and things like that. We'd, we'd really get out in the community a lot. Well, because of the pandemic, we, we haven't been able to do some of the, those huge events. We, we had the, the Christmas show, and you've know, been hearing advertisements for that, but you know we weren't able to do it live last year. This year, we were once again able to do it live, but again, because of the pandemic, we we were able to, we, we did it to about as half as many people as we would have otherwise done. We had to limit the number of tickets that were sold, things like that. So we've had to scale back in some regards, but that doesn't mean there's not an increase incredible need that, that is out there. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is, again, in, we're trying to do everything we possibly can to raise as much money to buy as many toys as possible. And so that's why this week, all leading up to a Radiothon tomorrow, we've been soliciting your your donations. And I'm always blown away by the, the generosity of, of listeners. And I, and I believe me, I understand there's lots of demands on people's you know time. And this time of year, there's all sorts of demands on people's money. And I think they've raised over $7 million for relief for the victims of the Waukesha Parade um, Massacre or whatever you want to call it. And it, it's been outstanding. And so I know people have been giving lots of money and have been helping out. But we don't want to let the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign get lost in this. And so so the, the way we, we've done it is kind of like a fun competition between the shows. If you go to our website, 620WTMJ.com, WTMJ.com actually, and you're going to see this big banner on the front, and it says Kids to Kids Christmas. You click on that, and then it will take you, and there's the four different you know Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. shows, Wisconsin's Morning News, Afternoon Show, Steve's Graffiti Show, and, and my program. And then we're having kind of a fun competition. Click on the individual show, and they'll make arrangements for you. You can make a donation. You can do it through PayPal, or you can do it through credit cards. And we're kind of having an informal contest to see who can raise the most money. But it, it's the, the big thing is that we're, we're trying to raise money. Actually, the last time I checked, you know, the our program w- was ahead, but 
And, and that, that's cool that this is kind of like internal bragging rights. But the big thing is we're trying to raise money. So $5, you $10, $25, $50, $100, whatever you feel, see fit to give, we very, very much appreciate that. So again, it, it's WTMJ.com. Click on the Kids to Kids Christmas banner, and then you just kind of go from there. Click on the various shows. You get to pick the show. I'd like you to pick mine, again, because it's kind of an internal bragging rights thing. But it doesn't matter. The important thing is that you give and give some money. And then what we can do is that money will be used to directly purchase toys that, again, will go to less fortunate kids this winter. So that's that's kind of the you know, behind the curtain thing of what's going on and why we're doing this this year and maybe doing things a little bit differently than we've done three or four years ago. It's just, it's the post-COVID world or the ongoing COVID world. So if you can help us out, uh, we would very much appreciate it. It is a very worthwhile cause. Okay, when we come back, let's talk about this breaking news story out of Waukesha yesterday. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, this uh, story was first reported yesterday afternoon by Wisconsin Right Now, which is a, a sort of conservative website. It's run by Jessica McBride, who used to have a nighttime talk show here in another lifetime. Um, it, it was after they broke the story. It started to become widely reported on TV stations and the local newspaper picked it up. But it's very clear to me, were it not for this website breaking the story, Waukesha authorities had no interest and no desire and would not have told the general public about it. Um, If you haven't heard the story, here's what happened. November 30th, which was a week ago Tuesday, 1.30 in the afternoon. So we were talking about broad daylight. Downtown Waukesha, the Waukesha Public Library, there is apparently there's an 87 year old woman who is returning books at the library. I think using like the the library's you know return drop slot. One thirty in the afternoon, she is approached, abducted at knife point. She is dragged back to her car and is then carjacked at knife point, and. During this incident, she is sexually assaulted. Again, one thirty in the afternoon, broad daylight, downtown Waukesha. The what ends up happening is that the the perpetrator, who, by the way, here's the dazzling detail of this: the perpetrator turns out to be fourteen years old. A fourteen-year-old. <laughs> abducts an 87-year-old woman at knife point, carjacks her, and sexually assaults her, broad daylight downtown Waukesha, um, nine days ago. This is November 30th. What ends up happening is is ultimately he lets her go. She is, and by the way, there's a middle school that's right across the street from the downtown library, Les Paul Middle School. So he he lets her go. She's found in the, the parking lot of the middle school a school resource officer you know sees her and she flags him down and, and ultimately they they meet, they call the cops and the cops are able to ultimately end up finding the finding this this 14 year old who turns out to be a Waukesha high school student who recently transferred to Waukesha from from Milwaukee so he is now apparently in juvenile detention but Waukesha authorities kept this under wraps. This was not made public. How you can have, and this 
first of all, let me just start with the, I think the obvious thing, and then there's another question I want to talk to you about. But but how you can have an 87 year old woman abducted at knife point from outside, from essentially main streets in downtown Waukesha, a week ago Tuesday, and the police don't tell anybody. School officials and school officials knew about it because they put the school on lockdown for about five hours. School officials don't tell anybody. The mayor's office doesn't tell anybody. The DA's office doesn't tell anybody. They put down the cone of silence and nobody knew about this and presumably would not have known. Were it not for the fact that somebody must have leaked something to this one, um, again, the, the one website, what Wisconsin right now, and, and they blew the whistle on this, and now everybody's picking this up. But there was, in my opinion, a concentrated effort. I don't want to use the word cover-up, but there was a concentrated effort to not tell the public that there was about as bad an assault as you can possibly imagine, which raises this question. Look, and I understand Waukesha has been through a whole lot, but, you know, why would you not tell the public? You know, why wouldn't you tell parents at the schools, you know, what had happened when you find the woman right at, who's, you know, now found after the sexual assault, she's found in the parking lot. Why would you not tell anybody about this? And then, of course, because he's 14 years old, right now my understanding is he is in juvenile detention, but there's been no details about the kid. There's been no details about his background. We don't know anything about the charges at all that are outstanding. And unless and until he is waived into adult court, we won't know anything about this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, 855-616-1620. Let's get into the story. Now, now first of all, again, there I, I don't want to use the word cover-up because I... I that has different implications, but there is no doubt in my mind that the Waukesha police and authorities in Waukesha did a huge disservice by, to the general public by, what could we say, not being forthcoming about this particular story. The Waukesha police, they told Wisconsin Right Now, who broke this story, that the incident, this is the 14-year-old who sexually assaulted an 87-year-old woman that he abducted at 1.30 in the afternoon on the street, main street in Waukesha outside the library at knife point and then sexually assaulted her. Um, they say the incident is sad and disgusting. I'm very, this is the police captain. I'm very mindful of the privacy issues surrounding with both victim and suspect. The privacy issues surrounding the, the suspect. Well, what about the public's interest in knowing that you've got some 14-year-old psychopath who is running the streets of Waukesha at knife point and abducting and sexually assaulting 87-year-old women? The district attorney, Sue Opper in Waukesha County, says that, you know, that she does plan to charge, but she says, I can't comment on this. Please contact the juvenile court for permission to obtain any charging documents. Well, that's like saying nothing. Um, because the juvenile court isn't going to release any sort of records at all. Waukesha police say the community doesn't need any more bad news. Okay, so <laughs> let's let's take a step back here. All right, we and and look, I understand Waukesha's been through all sorts of trauma. I, I get it, but you've got a 14-year-old who's raping or sexually assaulting 87-year-old women that he abducts on the street. So the idea is, well, we don't want the community to have any more bad news, so we're not going to tell the community about it. 
What the heck is going on with that? So I don't want to use the phrase cover up, but I believe firmly this was incredibly mishandled. And to the extent that school officials who went into a lockdown, for example, that school officials decided not to share the details of this incident with parents. Um, I, I think shame on them. The police department, I think, mishandled this. The DA's office, I believe, has mishandled it. So, I, I, I mean, you don't have to release the details and names, but when when there's an abduction at knife point of an 87-year-old woman by some kid, don't you think the public at least should have the right to know? And make no mistake, if it wasn't for this website getting tipped off about this, nobody would know about this today. That This was only public because somebody found out about it and now now okay yeah we'll we'll tell you about it okay so that's that's i guess my first issue here i think this was badly handled by authorities but it does raise this larger issue that i have talked about a couple times before we have an epidemic of crime in this region in this state in this country a lot of the crime is perpetrated by juveniles. Now, we, we just earlier this week, there was the, this report that was out of the car thieves that have been caught in the city of Milwaukee this year, about a thousand. The estimates are over half. Now, there's been there'll be 10,000 cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee this year. But of the car thieves that have been caught, over half are under 16. And you will never know the names the whereabouts, locations, or the disposition of any of those car thieves, those juvenile car thieves who have been caught, because unless they are waived into adult court, juvenile records are sealed, and the public never finds out about it. And in the case of Milwaukee County, they never waive car thieves, juvenile car thieves, into adult court. They just do not do that as a matter of policy. So they guarantee that the identities and the dispositions of all these juvenile car thieves are going to be protected. You will remember a couple months ago, there was, last summer, I think, there was the incident of the, I think he was 15 years old, who pulled out a gun in Mayfair Mall and shot shot, what, six, seven, eight people, the Milwaukee County court system has decided to treat that kid as a juvenile. So as a result, his name will never be made public, and how that case is handled will never be made public. So, you know, theoretically, that that 15-year-old that shot eight people could be living next door to you if you live in Milwaukee County, and you will never know that. Similarly, because this kid is 14 years old, at least and until he is waived into adult court, if the DA decides to do that, you will never know his name. You will never even be able to find out the disposition. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to stop protecting these juvenile delinquents, these thugs, these punks, these repeat criminals, and in the case of a 14-year-old, if it is true that he allegedly sexually assaulted an 87-year-old woman at knife point, these monsters, why do we continue to do this? The juvenile justice system, in my opinion, was designed years and years ago when we had this image of Andy of Mayberry, and okay, you have the kid that goes and shoplifts some gum from the local store, and he comes into the system, and he's really sorry, and you you don't want to ruin his life. 
That is not the type of juvenile that we are dealing with now. We are dealing with, in many cases, hardcore repeat criminals who pose a danger and an ongoing danger to the community. And I think it's time that we start opening up juvenile records and say we're not going to protect we're not going to protect these repeat car thieves. We're not going to protect a kid that goes out and shoots eight people at uh, in uh, Mayfair Shopping Center. Isn't it time to recognize that this juvenile justice system, and I put that in air quotes, is not working? Shouldn't we be able to find the identities of these kids? Shouldn't we be able to track what happens to them? So, number one, we can hold the judges accountable if they badly misjudge dispositions. And number two, so the community can know, hey, I'm moving into this neighborhood, and the kid that lives three doors down, well, he's a repeat car thief. 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, a couple people are, are saying, and this is the other detail; it's out there that the fourteen-year-old who is who they believe is responsible for the kidnapping and the sexual assault and the carjacking and all, um, he is related to a, a prominent Milwaukee politician. I, I made the decision I'm not going to name the politician just because I, I – and some people are saying, well, maybe that's the, maybe that's the reason. There, there is at least no evidence right now that that was – that had anything to do with the decision of the Waukesha Police Department not to make this incident known. And, and absent that, I mean, it, it's kind of like if you're – I don't know if your third cousin goes off and, and commits some horrendous crime or your nephew or somebody like that. Are, are you responsible for it? And so that's why agree or disagree. I, I don't there's no evidence that suggests to me that the Milwaukee elected official got involved in trying to cover the matter up or sweep the matter under the rug. And, and so I, I just I don't see that connection. And so that's why I'm not naming the person. Other people and I know other outlets have. And if if it turns out that maybe there was some involvement, and I don't think there was, but if it turns out to be some involvement, that might be a different story. But I think the larger issue here is why we continue to protect juveniles um, from from and, and at the expense of the public. Um, and, and so why don't we tell the identities of this? I, I have somebody saying, well, well, no, I don't I don't think that we need to uh, I don't think that we need to do this. Um, you know, why? Why does the public need to know? And the answer to me is, I think the public does need to know. First of all, if if there is if there's a kid that's been, let's just take the example of stealing cars. If there's a kid that's been out there and is stealing a bunch of cars and he's put back on the street and he lives three doors down from you, yeah, I think you should know that you've got a car thief in the area. Or if there's a kid who's being treated in juvenile court because he shot up Mayfair Mall, yes, I think that you, I think the community has a right to know who that person is. Um, I would believe that any time you have a juvenile who is charged with the equivalent of a felony, 
I think those records should be public. And I, I mean, even if it's the, the basis for finding the kid delinquent and you're going to treat the kid as a, in juvenile court under delinquency, but the underlying reason he's done that is because or she has done that is because they have committed what would be the equivalent of a felony. Yeah, I think the public has every right to know that and why we are protecting these punks, these thugs, these wannabe career criminals, or in some cases, these monsters from from being identified is absolutely, totally beyond me. At the same time, maybe if we did this, maybe we would spawn some accountability. Because look, let's understand how this system works. You have, and, and let's take the example of, of the, mul- the kid who stole multiple cars. Chances are, the kid has been involved in stuff like this on numerous occasions. They're probably out on the case wasn't prosecuted by the DA's office or it was deferred prosecution or it was no bail or low bail or something like that. Well, you also, this is a way to hold the judges accountable. If you find out that there's a particular judge or court commissioner who's just turning these people loose over and over again to commit more crimes, it's a way that the public has of keeping people accountable. So, I mean, I firmly believe, and you need a change in laws, and I understand there's some people who are going to be uncomfortable with this, but I firmly believe that any time you have a juvenile that commits an offense which would be the equivalent of a felony, and by the way, stealing a car worth more than $1,000 would be the equivalent of a felony if it was committed by an adult, well, yeah, I, I think at that point in time, you can still run the kid through juvenile court, you can still treat him as a delinquent, but you no longer should be able to hide the fact that the kid did what he did. I think it's just a simple matter of holding people accountable. Um, Jeff, it's one thing to protect a victim, but if somebody commits an adult crime or multiple crimes, commits a crime, I think the public deserves to know who they are. Yes, Jeff, we're never going to get a handle on senseless rampant crime as long as elected officials won't accept that a problem lies with a limited number of habitual criminals, often young, who regardless of age aren't punished as a deterrent. These aren't misguided youth, right? This isn't Opie shoplifting some chewing gum from the general store in downtown um, Mayberry. These aren't misguided youth, the texter continues. They're calculating, in many cases, dangerous criminals who pose real and increasing dangers to innocent, law-abiding people. Um Yeah, um, Jeff, I had my brand new car stolen out of my work parking lot in Glendale on Thursday. It has since been recovered, was not smashed into a tree, thankfully. I found it amusing when it, when I asked if I, when asked if I wanted to prosecute, um, if they found someone in my car at the time. It's a joke. I strongly feel that we should only make their names, I feel, I strongly feel that we should make their names public and we should also expect to have their parents held accountable. Um, actions are public. Um, yeah, that's, that's the example. We decide that we are going to protect people that are committing crimes. We put their privacy interests above the interest of the rest of us. And somebody would say, well, why, why should this be public? Because it's real simple. This was a crime that was committed against the public. 
And why in the world? Somebody said, well, you know, I just think people think you need to know too much. Now, I'm not talking about asking about how some 14-year-old's grades were. I'm not talking about asking about how some 15-year-old, you know, how much money they made if they were working at a summer job. But, yes, you, you go out and you sexually assault somebody at knife point in broad daylight. Yeah, I think the public deserves to know your name. You shoot up Mayfair Mall. The public deserves to know your name. You steal multiple cars. You are a dangerous to society, and yes, if you are going to engage in antisocial behavior, the public deserves to know your name. All right, I have no doubt that Tony Evers would not sign a bill into law to do what I'm talking about, but you have overwhelming Republican majorities in the Senate and the Assembly. Look, here's my political lesson of the day. People are sick of crime. Crime is out of control. And it's time for us to start taking back the streets. And maybe one place to start is recognizing that these laws we pass, setting up the juvenile justice system with all its protections for juvenile offenders, is grossly outdated. Maybe it would have made sense in 1950 or 1960. It does not make sense for the type of crimes that are being committed in 2021 or 22 or moving forward. And it's time to revamp the system. So maybe this is a time for Republicans in the Assembly and the Senate to undertake that, starting with the notion that we're going to remove the lid of privacy, protecting juvenile felons. And if Tony Evers decides he wants to veto something like that, fine. Tony Evers is up for re-election next November. Let's allow maybe the voters to decide whether they want to continue to protect these juvenile thugs that are out there preying on our society, or maybe if they want um, some accountability. Um, Jeff, if your grandmother lived next door to this kid, you would want to know. Absolutely. There, there's no question about that. You, you'd want to know. You want to know this type of stuff. And the, the idea, and Waukesha, they're saying we're trying to protect the victim. Well, nobody's talking about naming the victim. I'm talking about, first of all, telling the community that this is the type of thing that is occurring on the streets. And secondly, as far as the idea of trying to protect the perpetrator, give me a break. And if you're a 15-year-old car theft or a 14-year-old car jacker, if you're doing those types of things, to me, you lose any rights of privacy. If you're worried about your name being public and you're worried about maybe your, your future being ruined because, I don't know, you've been stealing cars or abducting people at knife point, well, maybe you think of that before you pull out that knife or before you steal those cars. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I guess it really is all what you're you're used to. Um, One of the the things, I want to give credit to the Milwaukee Police Department. They are... When we talk about transparency, they they are transparent. There is a website that they have that lists the the year-to-date instances of various categories of crime. And it it would be easy enough to just kind of take this down because it it makes it clear that that crime is through the roof. For example, as we talk about car theft, uh, last year at this time, 4,002 cars stolen. This year, 
9,866. That's, that's a little more than 28 cars a day stolen. And, and it, it's, it's more than double what was stolen this time last year, which is just, it's just incredible. But at least those numbers are, are out there. Homicides, uh, last year was an all-time record year for homicides. And this year, um, we're, we're essentially at the same number, um, 184, and this year it's 183. I'm not sure if that includes the four people from from yesterday or or not. But again, I I I, I think, and this is something that I know the current police chief, the new police chief Jeff Norman, intends to to continue. I mean, and I think this is at least you never you don't do anybody any favors by sugarcoating things and trying to pretend it, it's different. This, and I guess it is all what you're used to. I'm looking at the. Journal Sentinel's description of this this horrible, horrible incident that happened yesterday, um, 3100 block of South 49th Street. That's like 49th in Oklahoma. About 1145 in the morning, police are responding to a, a call for a welfare check. Some, I think it was a relative, was trying to get in touch with one of his relatives you know, and they weren't answering the phone and stuff, and so they called the police, and the police went over, and you found four people dead inside this home. They're going to have more details, presumably within the next hour or so, at a press conference. Four four individuals have not been identified. One one was a child, but it is it's sort of interesting to me because Journal Sentinel goes out and they interview like neighbors, and they, they quote one of the neighbors who lives near the home where the victims were found. I'm quoting from the story. She says. She didn't hear any disturbances and was really shocked at the news. She said the neighborhood is very quiet, and she hadn't heard gunshots ring out in the area for about six months. She said the neighborhood is very quiet, and she hadn't heard gunshots ring out in the area for about six months. I, I guess it really does all kind of depend on what you're used to, because I, <laughs> I think I think most people would would say, "Gee, we we've never heard gunshots ring out in our our particular neighborhoods." But maybe it's again, it's just kind of all what you get used to. Our neighborhoods really kind of quieted down. There hasn't been a shooting in the last six months or so. It, again, it's it's all. It's all, I guess, what you become used to. But one of my overriding points is I don't think people should, I don't think we should tolerate this as a normal. I don't think you should have to get used to, gee, it's been six months since the gunshots have, have rang out. You know, we, we have to get a control on crime. We have to hold people accountable. We have to fund the police fully and give them the resources to make arrests. And then when we have, whether it's prosecutors or courts or whatever, who won't hold people accountable, we need to get rid of those prosecutors. And we need to get rid of those judges because we, we have to take back the streets. It really says something. Oh, this is a quiet neighborhood. Hadn't heard shots in six weeks, in six months. Okay. Re- wonderful. I mean, you, you shouldn't, I would argue you shouldn't have to hear shots at all, but that's just me. Okay. Let, let us, let us switch gears. How much is, is enough? Right now in Wisconsin, we have about, of the population that has at least one dose of the COVID vaccine. That's kind of the numbers. And and I believe, as as I've said repeatedly, I I think it's kind of dug in on that. I I think that the people who've made the decision to not get vaccinated, I I don't think there's going to be too much that's going to be able to move them. I, I, I just don't. Maybe, you know, maybe if their workplaces put on mandates that you, you know, you lose your job, if you if you're not vaccinated, maybe that'll move the needle a little bit. But but the bottom line is, I think it kind of is what it is. And 
That's one of the reasons why I believe that we just have to kind of figure out how to, to live with COVID. And as I've said before, I, I got, I, I am what they call fully vaccinated. I, I got my two shots right away, had no adverse reactions. Uh, two, was it two weeks ago? One week ago or two weeks ago? Uh, no, last week, last Wednesday. I, I, I went in and I got, I got my booster shot. Um, I, I actually, I, I had COVID more than a year ago, so I knew I had some antibodies. I had the I had the regular vaccinations. I, I got the booster shot, and I, it was kind of like, well, I never had any negative reactions to any of the other stuff, so why not? And, and knock on wood, at least thus far, no reaction to the booster shot. So I had no problem doing that. I do know, however, that there are a number of people, including people close to me, who had their COVID vaccinations. They went and they got vaccinated, got the shots, and have had varying degrees of of reactions to it. Um, flu-like symptoms, you know, feeling like the bottom of the birdcage for for a day or two. But but they they made the decision. Okay, we're going to go ahead and do this because you know we, we we think it's important to do it. But I know many of those people who are kind of hesitant about the booster shot because. They, they, they got fully vaccinated and they, they've kind of had reactions. And so now they're sort of balancing the fact that, well, gee, we know we had bad reactions to the, the first two doses. You know, do we really need that that booster shot? And, you know, people are going to decide that for for themselves. In my case, like I say, it was in kind of a no brainer because I didn't have any reactions. And I figured, well, why not? Well, here's the story that's out today in The Washington Post because of the Omicron variant. Pfizer is saying that the likelihood that people will need a fourth coronavirus vaccine dose earlier than expected has increased dramatically. Um, they said now they think the standard two-dose regimen provides some protection against severe illnesses from the variant, but they are now saying a fourth dose might be needed within 12 months of the third shot. And they're adding that the timeline might need to be moved up. Um, so you, you might need to get another shot. Now, we, we get, for some of us, we regularly get flu shots every year. I'm one of those people. I, I sign up, get the flu shot. Um, sometimes I end up getting the flu, but I believe the flu shot, even if I get the flu, it makes it less severe. But now I've had both shots. I've had the booster, and Pfizer is saying, well, get ready because you might need another COVID shot sometime within the next year. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is is there a limit? I mean, right now, it, it looks like in Wisconsin, we, we're kind of stuck right around 60% of people who won't get, you know, won't get the vaccination, all right? Now, of that 60%, I think what maybe 15 or 20 percent have gotten the COVID boosters right now. And Pfizer is saying, well, you might need another COVID booster within the next 12 months. All right. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there a limit on the number of boosters that, that you think that you, you can sell the public on? Will there be a point where people say, okay, no, no, enough is enough. I've, I've gotten all the boosters I have. Or do you think this is going to become like the flu shot, something that we're told we need every year either to bring up the antibodies 
or to protect from whatever the latest strain of COVID is going to be. 855-616-1620. All right, are you going to get a booster? And if you've got the booster, will you get another booster in the next few months if Pfizer says you need it? 855-616-1620. From my perspective, as I've seen, not first of all, the vaccine reluctance to begin with, and then kind of a legitimate concern that some people have because they reacted to the vaccine about whether they want to get the booster. It seems to me that the number of people who are going to continue to get boosters, it's going to be a tougher and tougher sell moving forward. What do you think? We discuss in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, interesting. Our, our text line has just exploded on this. They're now saying Pfizer is now saying that we they think that you might need an additional booster, not just the vaccines, but then the booster shot. That you may need a, an additional booster within the next twelve months, within twelve months after you've gotten the last booster, and and maybe even sooner, um, which tends to indicate that this might be a perpetual thing. Now, a number of people are texting me saying, well, we don't have a problem with this because it's just like the flu shot. You know, we get the flu shot annually. Okay, well, I, I was just pulling up the numbers, and it varies from year to year, but the flu shot, about 51% of the American public gets the flu shot. So about 50%, one out of every two Americans, makes the decision that they're not going to get the flu shot. So far, about 40% of Wisconsinites have made the decision that they're not going to get vaccinated to begin with. And so that means they're not going to be getting the boosters. The number of people who've been vaccinated who get the boosters, that's that might be maybe half of the people who originally got it. I mean, I guess the question is going to be, are we going to get to a point where sometimes there's just a vaccine slash booster um, rebellion where people say, OK, we're, we're, we're just done with this. And again, in my case, I don't have a problem with it because I don't have adverse reactions, knock on wood to it. But I do know people who have had adverse reactions to the vaccinations adverse reactions to the booster and at some point in time they start doing this balancing thing saying okay well you know how how much of a risk does covid pose to me and all right um, am i really do i how many more shots do i really need there's going to be a balancing is there going to be a backlash or are we going to just simply get to a point where we say hey it's like the flu shot let's get this every year let's talk to ricky in chicago ricky you're first hello Ricky? Hello. Hi, Ricky. Go How ahead. You doing, man? Good. What do you think? Hey, um, I was going to say, uh, I was thinking, actually, as far as the shots go, um, to be honest, if I'm being honest with you, the flu shot is like you were saying, over the years, one out of two Americans choose not to take the shot. And I think as far as the vaccine goes, and if I was progressing along with, you know, the new Omni variant coming out, this is going to become a very strenuous topic as far as when it comes to just medicine or just getting the shot as a decision in general. Because when it comes to the flu shot, this has been around for years to come. And the mm-hmm. vaccine is just now being introduced to the public. And it's already has this many complications as far as are you getting it, are you not, they've even went as far as to put a mandate on vaccines when it comes to certain jobs and to be honest, if I'm being honest with you I don't think that's a smart decision because at the end of the day, this is a choice and it should be a choice for you to get a vaccine mm-hmm. or it should be a choice for you not to get a vaccine now, as far as the shot goes when it comes to your health, I think personally if they think that's going to be the best way to move forward, I would 100% note it because 
me personally, I just recently got my vaccine as well, mm-hmm. but I was only against it due to because I think I already had it like right. COVID before this. But I got it really because I noticed the health concerns. And with this many variants coming out, you really don't know what could be the possible outcome of your future or even your loved ones that surround you. Because me personally, I have an older parent that I live with. And I know me, I'm exposed because I'm a COVID test specialist, actually. And when I go from school to school, you know, uh, making sure that they don't have it, I need to make sure that I'm protecting myself. Oh, absolutely. along with that, if there are boosters that will allow you to help you when it comes to your immune system, because people have different immune systems, that's why they tell you to recommend your vitamins, you're supposed to make sure you're hydrated, you know, all, all the good stuff that makes your body feel good. But if that is not going to be able to be enough to protect you from it, then I would 100% back up the new vaccine shots. And if it does have to be a yearly thing, then we should absolutely do it because that would be the best possible way to decrease death rates. Yeah, no, thanks for calling, Rick. And, 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 and again, it, it's going to be an individual choice, but the the more... The, the more you you say to people, now keep in mind when, when the vaccines rolled out, it was the initial thing was, okay, you get the vaccines and you're going to be all set. And then it was, no, now you need the booster. And now it's like, well, you, you might need another booster. At, at some point in time, I guess, I, I just wonder if, if people end up tuning this stuff out, especially if you're somebody that has had reactions to the, the shots or the boosters. Jeff, there will be a time when I call it quits on the vaccinations. I had the initial shots and I've had the booster. I do, however, believe that there is some, there's something to be said about being over vaccinated and I'm concerned that getting shots every few months could start to be unhealthy as well. Jeff, I've had all three shots. I think Pfizer is trying to set the stage for a fourth shot already. I think they're trying to create a need that is not yet in existence. I believe that they are being uh, too greedy. Jeff, I know a lot of people that have regrets for getting the first two doses. I don't believe there's any way that they will end up getting boosters. Um Jeff, um, I had the original Moderna injections, and then I had the Pfizer booster. I've had no problems other than a mildly sore arm. I get the flu shot every year, and I'll follow recommendations and be the first in line as needed. And I, I think there, there's a lot of people who feel that way. But, again, keep in mind, if there's only about half the people, and we've had this conversation for the years I've been on the radio, there's only about half the people in the country that get the flu shot. In Wisconsin, right now you're at 60% ballpark of people who've had at least one dose of the the covid vaccine the covid vaccine when the numbers come in of boosters it's going to be a lot lower than that 60 percent because there's going to be a lot of people that don't go back for the second one and then if you add this other requirement in i also do wonder if talking about this in the speculative fashion whether or not that's helpful because i tell you i'm getting a lot of texts saying this is pfizer being greedy you know they're trying to create this vaccination culture It, it it might be that speculating as to when you're going to need a- another booster shot, if you are going to need another booster shot, maybe maybe that's premature because at least the last I heard that the new numbers are, first of all, that this new variant is not as, as quote-unquote, deadly as other variants are. At least that's the initial thing. And secondly, the idea is that the, at least the thinking is that, I was watching Fauci last night, that if you get that booster, that you've really upped your antibody game. So maybe it's true that we're going to need one, but I don't know that Pfizer helps itself by coming out and trying to prepare us for getting yet another one, because it does, I think, make some people, particularly people 
people who've had reactions to some of these shots wonder, is this this never-ending game that we're going to have to go through of getting a shot every six months or whenever? Somebody says, here's a text, Jeff, it's the vaccine of the month club. No vaccine. I've never been tested. I've probably had COVID a couple times, but the symptoms are similar to every other cold symptom. So who knows? I want more treatment options instead of vaccines, which does raise... A really interesting point that I don't think you can underscore enough. I I think that when one of the real breakthroughs with COVID is going to be when they develop these oral treatments that they say they're reasonably close to, that just just like there's the, what is it, Tamiflu or Teraflu or whatever it is, where you, you get the flu and they diagnose it and you take this regimen early on and if they catch it early enough, it, it, it doesn't stop you from getting sick, but it minimizes the, the exposure and the consequences and things like that. I think once you develop a treatment like that for COVID, it's really going to be a game changer because then once people start having the symptoms, you can get in early and you can give them this treatment. If it's somebody, again, that's in the the compromised immune systems or something like that, well, that's your life has changed. But you don't want to get pneumonia. You don't want to get the flu if you're in that situation either. But for, I think, the vast majority of people developing, again, one of those oral treatments, and I think they're relatively close to that, I think that that's, that's a game changer that might minimize the need for vaccinated and boosted people to continue getting boosters moving forward. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Looking for somewhere to watch this weekend's Packers game? Well, I've got an idea. Join me and my lovely wife, Fran. We're going to be at the New Berlin Ale House. I'm going to be there Sunday night. Festivities start around 7 o'clock. Fun games, prizes, we've got some really great giveaways, and a lot more. Plus, you will be able to enjoy $18 buckets of Miller Lite and $4 Vizzy varieties. It's the Miller Lite Packers Watch Party with me, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. For more information, please visit WTMJ.com. Like I say, it's Sunday night, Packers Bears. Um, we're going to kick off the event right around 7 o'clock. I think kickoff itself is like 7.15 or 7.20 or something like that. And we have stuff to give away during the game. We've got a halftime prize. We've got a grand prize that we give away after the ball game. It should be fun. So if you're looking for a place to watch the game and drink buckets of beer, I assume these are like multiple bottles of Miller Lite that are put in a bucket as opposed to a full bucket of beer. Although, as I was saying earlier this week, I can remember back in the day going to County Stadium, watching the Brewers, and they they would allow you to serve. They would serve you tap beer, and it would be in buckets, and you could just carry the bucket around. Um, don't do that anymore. Probably just as well. One, one final text. It, it it's about before we move on from the the vaccinations and stuff. If, if you do what I do for a living, it's really interesting because I get a lot of feedback, and it's all over the map. And I believe that I have a appropriately nuanced and real-world view of, of COVID. There are some people who just think there's absolutely nothing to see here and there's nothing to be worried about about COVID, and this whole thing for the last year and a half has been a huge overreaction, and they're never going to get vaccinated, and they just want people to stop talking about it. Well, I, I don't subscribe to that theory. And on the other hand, and I hear from this group too, we have people that think that COVID is the plague and that um, what we really need to do is that the government, essentially we, we need to, and I'm sort of paraphrasing this, but we need to live in hazmat suits until the government decides it is going to go door to door, pull people out of their houses and inject them with the vaccines. And there are people that, that 
that that might be an oversimplification, but that's really what they believe, and that they think that anybody who doesn't believe that just wants to see people die. So I, I, I get it from, from both sides. And like I say, I, I've, I've tried to have what I think is a, a nuanced and reasonable view of this, which recognizes that COVID is a health issue, more of a health issue if you're one of the individuals who fits in those high-risk categories, but that we, we should do stuff to prevent ourselves from getting sick. But at the same time, there's going to be a limit as to how far that goes. Um, here's a text that receives his point. Jeff, I've received both doses and my booster. After this, though, I think I'm pretty much done with boosters. My thinking is it's a whole lot of medicine being injected into the body in a short time frame. I've also received the flu vaccine this year. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I've, I've got the flu shot. I got... You know, in March and April, I got my regular vaccines, got the booster. And, and again, I'm not paranoid about this. And I get some texts from people saying, Jeff, you're going to really regret it because all you sheep that got the vaccines and got the boosters in 2021, you're going to be dead by 2024, which I'm thinking, well, I hope not. But I, I don't I don't see that as the case. But there is a certain point where you, you do have a lot of medicine being injected into you. And so far, I haven't reached that limit. But at some point in time, you, you wonder where that comes into play. OK, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know that one of the things I have always marveled over in kind of a head shaking way is why people start smoking. Now, I, I think I. I Without the idea, without getting into the discussion of smoking is legal, can you do it, all those sorts of things. I just, I just don't understand why in today's day and age, knowing what we know about smoking, that people make the decision to start. I, I get it if you've been smoking, you know, since the 50s or 60s or 70s and you're hugely addicted to this. Um, I, I, I understand the, the addictive nature of it, things like that. But why, for the life of me, knowing what it does to you. And, and you know, I, I don't think anybody can argue that we can argue, I guess, about how bad it is. Although I was doing an interview with um, one of these doctors from Freighter about lung disease. And I think I asked him, I said, of, of the different people you treat for lung disease, what percentage are smokers? And I think he said 95%. I mean, it's, it, it's you know, we, we were just, we were kind of talking. I think it was off the air. I don't think it, added, it went into the thing we did on the air. But it was essentially, you know, if, if there weren't cigarettes and people did not smoke, the, the instances of, of lung disease, whether it's lung cancer or other things, it, it would just, it would fall off the map because all, not everybody, but almost everybody who comes down with some sort of chronic lung problem, you can trace it back to, to smoking. So we know smoking isn't good for you. It, it's also expensive. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm always amazed when I, when I see how much a pack of cigarettes or a carton of cigarettes or whatever costs. And what one of the things we've done in our society now is we have, rightly or wrongly, we start to treat smokers like pariahs. You know, it's, okay, can't smoke inside bars anymore. So it's just always amazing to me when I go into a, a restaurant or a bar or something like that, and it's starting to get cold like it is now, and you see all these people, like, huddled around outside in 10-degree weather smoking cigarettes. And I'm like, okay, why? You know, why do you do it? So I, I, I've just, I've never understood that, but yet people do it. Which brings me to the story. New Zealand, the country of New Zealand. This is the way the Washington Post reports the story. They are planning to outlaw smoking for future generations with new policies that include raising the age limit every year for when people can buy, legally buy cigarettes. 
starting in 2027, the legal smoking age of 18. So right now in 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 New Zealand, it's 18 and older. You can legally buy cigarettes, okay? What they are going to do is they are going to start raising the age of, of legal smoking every year. So um, one year it'll be 18, then it'll be 19, and the following year it'll be 20. So theoretically, um, what would happen is, depending on when you were born, you know, you could be... 65 years old, if this thing all played out like they planned it, you know, 65 years from now, you know, it could still be, if you hit it at a certain time period, it could still be illegal. You could, you could be 80 years old and it would be illegal for you to buy cigarettes. So what they're trying to do is essentially create a, a two-tiered class, one where smoking is legal, and one where smoking is not legal. And again, it's not smoking, it's buying cigarettes. That's the one thing they retain. But the idea is, let's make it illegal for people 18 and under to buy cigarettes. And we'll raise the age limit every year. So if you are at that cutoff, you will never legally be allowed to buy cigarettes. Interesting. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is, I mean, it's clearly a, a, a two-tiered system that they would create. I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes in uh, union job shops, you have the deals where you have the people that are grandfathered in and they're treated by one set of rules, and then you have the other people, the new hires, who are treated by another set of rules. Would something like that work in the United States? Should we Should we consider doing something like that in the United States as a way of, creating smoke-free future generations. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Before we ring in the new year, let's take one last look back. The 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards present History Made, a celebration of Milwaukee's first title in 50 years and the best in high school, college, and professional sports across the state of Wisconsin. Join ESPN Wisconsin's Jen Latta and Wisconsin's biggest stars on Saturday, December 18th at 1 a.m. on today's TMJ4 for the 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards, presented by the UW Credit Union, Jockey, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, and Palermo Pizza. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, this is what New Zealand is going to do. They, they, they want to try to eliminate smoking. So their idea is we are, starting a couple years from now, we're going to make it illegal for people eighteen under 18 to buy cigarettes. That's for the first year. And then we're going to raise the age to 19, 20, 21, et cetera. So you get to a point ultimately where people, you know, if you haven't turned 18 by like next year, you're never going to legally be allowed to buy cigarettes. 20 years from now, you'll still be prohibited from being able to buy cigarettes. What do you think? Monica in Racine. Monica, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. What do you think about this? Well, interestingly, my sister lives in New Zealand. Okay. And I know that the uh, prime, she's been there for over 20 years now. And um, I'm about your age, and I can't move there. Okay. Because I'm too old. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and so that's one of the restrictions. I mean, I, I don't know if it's 45 or 55. If you're older than that, you can't get moved there to live there. Okay. And you can't get a visa. And so, interestingly, the prime minister, I think, has a little bit more power right. than maybe our way of doing things. And um, 
I just don't know if she's going to be able to get that one through. Yeah, I, and I guess I see. I wrestle with the idea, Monica, that it, it's. I don't know if you should get it through. I mean, I'm trying to imagine this two tiered system. And look, I, I don't think people. I I I, I don't. I think the world would be a better place if people didn't smoke cigarettes. It's expensive. It's unhealthy. But at the same time, I have some habits that are probably expensive and unhealthy too that people could be judgmental about. But I guess I'm. I, you know, I'm thinking if you got a 40 year old guy who wants to smoke cigarettes. Doesn't he have the right to do it? And how can you tell him you can't buy cigarettes, but the guy that's 42 years old can? And that, to me, I guess that just makes no sense. It seems to me you have to take the, prog- the problem on one way or the other and say, are we going to allow cigarettes to be legal or not? That's, if, if that's what you want to have, have that discussion, not, th- not this kind of half measure. Right. Well, if she's shut the country down so many times right. during this whole COVID thing, and they're actually still under... A limited lockdown right now. I communicate with my sister periodically, and it's just crazy yeah. how you know she boom as soon as they one piece of COVID, boom, the country shut down. Yeah, you know, and thanks for calling. It's it's funny you mention that because I have a friend who has a uh, one of my friends. Uh, kids who's in in his 20s signed up with one of these travel companies and the idea was you they they place you in various jobs and new zealand was a place he wanted to go and he put down this this big deposit and stuff but new zealand and then they find you a job and you stay there you make a commitment to to stay for a year or something like that i'm not quite sure how it works but he thought it would be kind of cool to to go to new zealand for a year or two but that that whole thing has been put on hold because as you point out they're they're not letting anybody in right now or for longest time they didn't let anybody in period now i think they they might be starting to ease these restrictions this to me is an interesting concept i guess but I, I think it it it's a half measure i think that you know collectively we have to come to grips with the idea of are we going to ban cigarette smoking or not can can you do prohibitions and, and even in new zealand this doesn't say you can't smoke it says that if you're below the, this magic age threshold, you can't buy cigarettes. But I mean, let's face it: how enforceable is that? And that does somebody want to smoke? You know that they're going to be able to get cigarettes all sorts of ways. So it, it seems to me that I, I get what they're trying to do. I just don't think it's workable, and it's certainly I don't think workable in the United States. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. As an ex-smoker. I do not think this is going to work because when because when you ban stuff, outlaw stuff, or use scare tactics, it's going to just make people want to smoke more. And I think it's better to just educate people more and really try to convince young people that, that they're not immortal and that this will eventually catch up with them. Why do you think – why do you think the – a 21-year-old or a 19-year-old in today's day and age, knowing what we know about cigarettes, why do you think why do you think people start smoking and get addicted in the first place? Well, I think it's a combination of rebelling, being cool, um, giving in to friends doing it. But I also think that young people tend to have this feeling of immortality. Like they think, oh, this can happen to me. I'm like 18 years old or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, uh, eventually they look it over that, but the, the, unfortunately smoking also might catch up with, with him or her. No, I think, uh, I think you're, you're on to something, Jeff. I, I think there's less peer pressure, but there's certainly peer pressure. I was talking about this the other day. I was watching one of the, these old TV shows. If you go back to some of the great TV shows of the fifties and the early sixties, I'm talking about the Andy Griffith show and, uh, and Dick Van Dyke and, you know, the Lucy show and stuff. On, on TV, the characters smoke all the time. 
I, I mean, the, the, the TV shows were sponsored by cigarette companies, and, and, and they're smoking all the time. We, we talked about this new Beatles documentary that's out on um, HBO, on Disney+. Plus on, and, you know, they're, one of the things that Disney wanted to do is they wanted it edited down to, to del- delete all the examples of the Beatles smoking. Well, I watched all seven-plus hours of the thing, and, I mean, they're, they all have cigarettes in their hands constantly. I mean, I don't know... I, I don't know what you could have done, how you could have edited out, edited out all the scenes of smoking, because that, that was, it was just, in, this was in, said in, what, 1969, so, or 68 or 69, it was just like, I mean, everybody was smoking at the time, so back then, I understand that there was, like, this pure pressure that was out there, I just, I never smoked, and so, and I, I, I and thankfully, I don't have an addictive personality, number one, and I never smoked, number two, so it was never the thing to get addicted to, but I mean, I, I understand why, you know, if people started smoking 30, 40 years ago and you get addicted to nicotine and it's almost impossible for you to quit, I, I, I understand that. It, it's more this, this bigger thing about why do people smoke now. And I do think you're onto something, Jeff, when you talk about the, the idea of immortality. It's, it's kind of, it, it's not the same, but in some respects, it's like, what, why do, why do these 15 and 16 year olds steal cars and decide that they're going to drive 95 miles an hour running from the police? And it's because they think they're immortal. And, and, and it, this is fun and this is great and, and nothing's going to happen to us and we can drive down the wrong way and we can blow through red lights and, and, and we're going to always walk away from this. There's no, there's no thinking of the repercussions. And, and look, I, I understand that there's older people as well who are involved in high speed chases. There was a story I have right here about, oh, Milwaukee police pursuit, two people taken into custody, Fox Point following a high speed police chase that started on Hubbard and East Clark Street, traveling at a high rate of speed. Well, in that case, and the people that were in the car was a 42-year-old guy and a 41-year-old woman. Okay, so, I mean, I, I understand in that case, you've got the high-speed chase, and it's people in their 40s, but they're they're involved in a shooting, and they're running from the cops. There's always going to be that. A lot of these a lot of these these juveniles that have stolen cars and are running from the cops, it's just they're running for, for the sheer thrill of it. And I think part of it is they don't realize that when they blow through that red light and lose control of that car and slam into that pole, they they may very well kill themselves, and they're certainly going to kill somebody else around them. And you just don't think like that. And maybe that's the motivation that causes people to smart start smoking earlier as well. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. We have been following the jury deliberations in the Jussie Smollett, Smollett case. He's the um, 39-year-old actor. He was on the, the TV show Empire, who um, the allegations are he, he staged his own being to make it look like a hate crime. Uh, authorities had all sorts of suspicions about this from the beginning, and they've identified these two guys who were associates of Smollett who, who said he paid them to hit him and uh, put a noose around his neck and things like that. Um, ultimately, what happened is the special prosecutor came in. He was charged with various offenses. The matter's been on trial for the last two weeks. He testified earlier this week, and depending on, on who you look at, he the, the general sense is that it was kind of a Hail Mary, and he, he didn't do that well on the stand, but who knows? I, I didn't get a chance to see it, and now the jury is out. They got the case 
yesterday afternoon around 2.45, deliberated for a couple hours. Apparently, this judge has a reputation for having jurors deliberate long into the night, but one of the jurors had a family event or something at 6 o'clock, so they sent him home early. They brought him back about 9.15 today, and the jury has been deliberating. I don't think there's been any sort of questions at at all. Um, I, I would... I would not be surprised by a verdict any any time, although I, I always one of my experiences having tried probably over a hundred federal federal criminal jury trials is and I, I said this before when we were talking about the Frittenhouse case and it, it turned out to be pretty much correct. I I rarely got verdicts in, in, in cases on Thursday, and I think I think there's this kind of weird psychology that that went on, and and this is the the best way I can explain. I think what happened there were especially for cases that had been that the jurors had been hearing testimony for a week or two. In in many cases, their employers you know give them time off for for jury duty, and let let's say you haven't been to work for a two week trial. All right. Well, it's Thursday before the weekend. Well, there's some people who really don't want to go back to work on Friday. And if the jury reaches a verdict, and I know this sounds silly, I'm just telling you, it was kind of jury psychology that I saw play out a lot. So I can't tell you how many occasions I saw on Thursday, eh, even though you think the jury is ready for a verdict, they don't reach a verdict. They come back Friday and then within an hour or so, they, they, they've got a verdict, or maybe they stick around for lunch, and that's what happened in Rittenhouse, and, and you've got the, the verdict. And I know it's a it's it's a weird piece of jury psychology, and it might sound, boy, that seems like kind of a haphazard way for the system to work, and it doesn't always happen. I'm just saying that based on my experience, lots of times verdicts on Thursday just, just don't happen in these longer trials because there's some people who would have to go back to work on Friday. So it's like, all right, well, I think we're close. Let's sleep on this. Let's come back and decide. Now, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I, I do predict that they're going to have a verdict b- before the weekend. I, I can't imagine that deliberations are going to go into the weekend, but again, who knows what juries are going to do. Hey, get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. You can enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating villagers, a nativity scene, and lots, lots more. To secure your spot now, text the word Christmas to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855 855- Six one six one six twenty. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton, which then gives me one more opportunity to talk about something I mentioned at the start of the show. Um, this week, we are aggressively trying to raise money for Kids to Kids Christmas. This was Kids to Kids Christmas was an idea that Jonathan Green and the good folks at Capco came up with 12, 13, 14 years ago to allow us to share. The, the spirit of the holidays with less fortunate kids. And be, because of COVID, a, a lot of the things that we used to do have, have kind of changed, and hopefully we'll get back to some of the normal stuff next year or the year after that. But in, in this particular case, some of the things, like some of our on-site things where we'd go out to different locations and collect toys, haven't been able to do that. So we, we, we still want to keep this tradition going. It is very, very important. So we are asking for cash donations. And the easiest way to do it is to go to our website. It's WTMJ.com. On the page, WTMJ.com, there's a big green banner across the 
across the top of the the page, and it says click here. You click there, and what you find is there's references to all the four uh, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. shows, the morning news, the afternoon news, news, my program, and Steve Scafidi's program. And we've got a kind of a little internal contest going here. It's all for fun. You can click on your quote-unquote favorite show, and then you can make a donation. And um, we, we encourage people to do that, and we're raising money through tomorrow. So if you've got whatever you can give, $500, we would very much appreciate it. When last I checked, my my show had had the highest donations, but that's not really the point, although it gives you a little bit of bragging rights, but that's not really the point. It's a good cause, and that's what we're trying to do. So if you can see fit to to do that, um, again, just WTMJ.com, click on the, the Kids to Kids banner, and uh, make a donation. We would very much appreciate it. It's an interesting time in the world. Earlier this week, we talked about Joe Biden and his Zoom conference with Vladimir Putin. Right now, the Ukraine is one of the global hotspots. Ukraine was originally part of the old USSR. When the Berlin Wall fell and the USSR broke up, Um, Ukraine became an independent country. It has been one of the goals of Russian strongman Vladimir Putin to bring Ukraine, to annex Ukraine, to bring it back under Russian control. That's been one of his his expressed goals. Um, Back in 2014, as a start to that, um, Russia moved in and took over the Crimea, which geographically is adjacent to the Ukraine. At the time, Barack Obama was the president, Joe Biden was the vice president, and they did nothing to stop Russia from from taking over Crimea. Now it is very clear that Putin wants to do something similar to Ukraine. They estimate right now that Russia has about 100,000 troops massed across, uh, already assembled across Ukraine's eastern, northern, and southern borders, and more are on the way. In addition, in Ukraine itself, there are Russian-supported rebels, which are firing on and being fired on by the the Ukraine troops. So it's very, very clear that, that Putin apparently is getting ready to move and on on Ukraine and it's been one of his expressed things one way or the other he he wants to take it back under russian control earlier this week there was a zoom conference and biden apparently was warning him saying if you do this you know it, it's going to dramatically escalate stuff and you should be prepared for economic retaliation and things of of the like and what putin is going to do with this warning you know who knows but the interesting thing right now is that ukraine the commanders, and there's a big piece in the New York Times about this today, Ukraine itself is saying, if Russia moves on us, we will be overwhelmed, that, that we, we cannot defend ourselves if Russia moves in. There's not sufficient military resources for repelling a full-scale attack by Russia if it begins. And then... The the thing that they also add is without support of Western forces. So what Ukraine is saying is we cannot defend ourselves if Russia moves on it. 
which then raises the question, now who knows exactly what Russia is going to do, but you would presume that Russia doesn't have 100,000 troops scattered all around the borders just for, for their health. Maybe they do, but, but that's clearly what the threat is that's out there. So here is the 64,000 or $64 million question. If Russia decides that they want to intervene militarily to take the Ukraine, and Ukraine is already saying, we cannot defend ourselves, we, we cannot protect ourselves against Russia unless the West gets involved. Now, Ukraine is not a member of NATO, so there's no treaty obligations, I don't think, to, to act. But at the same time, the idea of Russia taking over this country is something that the U.S. has already said, you know, is unacceptable to them. So here's the question. If Russia does move, all right, do we get involved? Does NATO get involved? Does the United Nations get involved? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are we willing to go to war with Russia over Ukraine? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so here, here's the actual numbers of what's going on. And I understand that we're, we're, we're obsessed with COVID, appropriately so, you know, dealing with response to COVID and the economy and things like that. But, but the estimates are that right now Russia has over 100,000 troops that are massed all around um, the border of Ukraine. They estimate, and I'm quoting from the New York Times now, Russia could be prepared to military, militarily launch an invasion of Ukraine as early as January or February, although they say that they don't know whether Putin has decided to do that or not. When Biden confronted Putin, Putin the other day about this, um, his response was that it's the fault of the United States and NATO um, because he said they're threatening Russia's security by supporting Ukraine's military with arms and training. And, and that is that is true. You've got um, Russian-sponsored rebels that are trying to overthrow Ukraine government. But but here's the deal. If, if, if Russia moves on Ukraine militarily, there is no way Ukraine can fight off 100 or 150 or 175,000 Russians who are, are moving to take it over, just like when Russia took over Crimea five years ago or six or seven years ago, Barack Obama did nothing to, to stop them. They talked tough, but then at the end of the day, they did nothing. So here's the issue. If in the next few weeks, Russia decides that it's going to move on Ukraine, do we get involved militarily? 855-616-1620. Here's a couple texts that I do think reflect you know, a lot of thinking. Jeff, what benefits does Ukraine offer to us here in the U.S.? If the only thing our involvement would do is stop the spread of communism, sorry, no thanks. I've heard that too many times throughout U.S. history. Um, let's see. Jeff. Russia doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO, and I believe this show of force is a bargaining tool that Putin is doing. Biden will offer that to stop Putin from invading. End of the day, Putin gets what he wants. Um, regardless, USA will not respond with military action. Right now, Ukraine has, has not been invited, nor have they asked to participate in NATO, and everything I read says that that would be years off in any event. But clearly, Biden, I mean, Putin doesn't want that, and he's told that he, he's already made a demand saying, well, you know, we, we want you to guarantee that um, this will never, that Ukraine will never become a part of NATO. Biden says that that's, that's a non-starter, but if the choice is giving that up 
or you know having to get militarily involved in case there is an invasion who knows john in chicago john you're on wtmj hello yeah hi Jeff. what do you think uh, you know my thoughts are you really don't respond in a military way to russia i mean their economy is so dependent upon you know both the west and the u.s that you know the cost of invading ukraine and 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 having sanctions issued against Russia and, and the oligarchs, you know, who control Russia, who control billions of dollars in offshore accounts, and in Russia is just a calculus that Putin ultimately would never take. Because it's unlike China, who's a lot, much of a stronger economy and, and a bigger share of the world, world uh, economy. Russia just isn't. So they're very vulnerable economically. So uh, do you think... Any kind of economic sanctions. So if Biden says, I'm going to bring about really harsh economic sanctions, whatever they might be, maybe targeted at Russian oil or whatever. Um, do you think that scares Putin off, or do you think he goes ahead and does it regardless and then lives with the consequences? I, I think it scares him off, because, you know, and this is one thing that, that I think Trump was very effective at. I mean, the, the leverage that we have economically over certain of these countries and economies would be so devastating to Russia. I mean, they're barely hanging on by a thread right now anyway. And, and, and just the, the benefit of going into the Ukraine is just way outweighed by the devastation that would hit Russia's economy if they would make that move. Well, John, thanks for calling. I, 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 by the way, I, I hope you're right. Let me just say this. I, I, I guess, I, first of all, I don't think there is any way that the West gets involved in a shooting war in, in Ukraine. I, I just, I do not see that happening. We've just done all these things to dislodge ourselves from a shooting war in Afghanistan. And, and maybe you can make, you can make a stronger argument maybe that we had a more vital interest in Afghanistan than we do in Ukraine. So I, I, I just, I don't see that happening. I mean, I just I don't see Biden saying and and of course, you'd have to do this with with NATO as far as the economic sanctions. I I don't know. Putin has made you never know what he is going to do. And, And again, you know, people thought if when he invaded Crimea that there would be a response and and there really wasn't. John is absolutely right. You know, Russia's economy is a mess. The problem is that you need to, if you're going to impose economic sanctions, it, it, it effectively, it can't just be driven by the U.S. It, it's got to come from Germany that's just cut some big deals with Russia. It's got to come from France. It's got to come from the U.K. It's got to come from the United States. So it has to be really a concerted effort among NATO to, to make this commitment to really economically punish them because if the U.S. says we're going to do stuff, but Germany says, okay, well, we're going to continue to open up these pipelines and we're going to bring, you know, all this this Russian oil into us, um, the, the sanctions lose a lot of effect. Can we get involved in a shooting war in the Ukraine? I, it's just, I, I, to me, I, I've always said this about wars. I think you've got to have, and this is the lesson of, of Vietnam, which was one of the seminal points in my life, you, you've, you've got to have a plan. It's easy to get in, and it's really tough to get out. And the question becomes, all right, what are the real benefits of, of getting in? Are they there? Can you get out? And do you want to risk escalation? And I just, I, I just don't see any way, shape, or form that NATO in general, or the U.S. in particular, gets involved in, in a shooting war in Ukraine. I, I just don't see it. Economic sanctions, yeah, that's got some potential to deter Putin, but only, only, only if everybody in Europe signs up. And I don't know that they're there yet.